Truth Espresso, episode 212. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Why, hello there. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, for Truth Espresso. Welcome. And Truth Espresso is a member podcast of the Christian podcast community. And so, while we like it, if you just binge listen to Truth Espresso, we'd like to let you know that there are other podcasts out there in the community. And so, check out all that the Christian podcast community has to offer at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And I am here with my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea, and we are going to continue what we talked about two weeks ago, about five steps to evaluate our parenting. And so we're going to do five more steps to evaluate our parenting. And so, sweetheart, ready to talk about evaluating our parenting. Yes, let's dive in. (laughs) And I know we like to say that in the process of doing this, we're self-evaluating our own parenting. We're not those who can probably see ourselves at this point being able to write textbooks about parenting, but we have four kids. We are in the journey of parenting with God's help, working on it ourselves. And so we're going to give some thoughts about how we believe parenting should be done, how we've researched a little and did some self-evaluating and looked at some scriptures to do some checking on parenting. And so the first step of our five more steps to evaluate our parenting is to ask ourselves this question as parents, are we putting our feelings first? What does that entail? Basically, we're putting our feelings above those of our children. And children need to have a venue to be children, which includes the feelings that children need to express. Sweetheart, you have something to say about that? About how we should think about children, also realizing that everyone was once a child themselves, and to see, okay, there are some times maybe when we were children that maybe we had our feelings suppressed, maybe it was like inconvenient for parents or such, but just that we need to allow our children to express their feelings in a safe environment for that. Yeah, I think this point is kind of an interesting one to think about because a lot of times we don't recognize that we are putting our feelings above our children's. But one thing to consider is, like you mentioned, babe, are we allowing our children to have that room or that space to be able to show emotions and show feelings? And in order for them to have that, a lot of times we do have to put aside our feelings and our emotions to let the child be able to (laughs) safely do that. Because if our child is crying because their brother just took their toy, then we have two different ways to respond. We can respond by allowing that child to express like why he's crying, why he's upset, why he feels this way, and allow them to talk about that 
and kind of guide what happened there is one way. Another way we could respond is by getting angry mm-hmm. and telling them, oh, don't be a baby, don't cry, big boys don't cry, toughen up, or like, mm-hmm. that's how life is, things like that, because then we're putting our feelings above our children's because they're not able to express yeah, they were wronged there and they need to be able to express that. And then we as parents help identify like, okay, yes, you're sad because this happened and what can we do next time? But again, thinking like, okay, anger is a response. So if we're responding to our children with anger, then our child is going to feel like, oh, I can't have those feelings. I can't express emotion. And that starts to shut them down. And then over time, our child's not going to feel safe to be able to express that. And this point seems to be one of those kinds of things that show that if as parents, as adults, are putting our feelings first and suppressing children's feelings, that's kind of like a role reversal, Mm -hmm. one of those senses, because children are going to, when they're little, they have feelings. They have emotions, but they're in a learning process. They don't understand completely and they don't have as much control over them. So we should naturally expect that children are going to express anger without trying to hold it back or cry at things that we might think that's not an actual issue. It's not a big deal. But as adults and as parents, we should be examples to our children as people who can control our emotions as we express them in such a way that we're being examples to them. We're instructing them. So when you have the scenarios where parents are like quick to be angry and yelling at their kids, but then their kids are always having to suppress their anger, themselves being upset, say like the parent gets annoyed because the child gets upset and then yells at them, but the child has no avenue with which to express their anger or their at least displeasure at something, their frustration at something. Now, we're not saying that proper parenting means that parents let their children yell at them and stuff like that. No, we need to instruct them calmly about that's not how we talk to mommy and daddy. And can you say please or thank you or things like that? We calmly, I'm not saying it's easy, you know, but as parents, that's what we should strive to do. We should be examples when we talk to our children as to how properly to show feelings and to contain them, not suppress them, but to channel them in a, trying to think of a word, not civilized, but (laughs) grown up, um, yeah, (laughs) mature, Mature (laughs) mature way, yeah, when parents are like overly emotional, especially overly angry, quick to anger at their children. And then because they get annoyed when their children express their feelings because it's inconvenient for the adults, it shows that these parents are not like mature themselves. They haven't really grown up themselves. And so then they suppress from their children what they want to exude. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's a role reversal, but we should strive as parents to demonstrate a mature expression of feelings and give them the space to learn as we're instructing them how to do it properly. All right. So I had a couple of things. First, I'll ask you a question. (laughs) Okay. Um, And this isn't the trivia yet. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Okay, so do you think that it's good for parents to express emotion in front of their children? Like, for example, you know, if someone close to us passed away and we as parents cry because we're sad about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, it's okay for parents to show emotion. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not talking about parents need to be like, robots toward their children especially when it's like negative emotions directed toward children or let's say parents get angry at other people well their children shouldn't see them like blowing up and shouting and yelling and stuff as much as parents can help it children need to not feel like they're in a chaotic environment in their house and of course they should be able to see their parents cry you know like mommy why are you crying you know like well this happened mommy's upset about that and yeah it's sad and stuff and you know maybe their child will cry with you or if they don't understand it that much they'll still have the empathy as they're learning about okay mom and dad do cry and when they cry it means something to them and stuff but yeah mostly what i'm thinking about is directing anger toward their children (laughs) all right so with anger even say a mistreatment of someone happens like Mm. i know a few times like we would talk about with our older kids some of the issues that would come up in court hearings or with different debates or things going on surrounding the abortion issue And then we would voice like, oh, this is frustrating because they ruled this way. And I mean, that's a type of anger in some ways. You're frustrated with that. But I'm thinking, okay, if we are expressing either sadness or frustration or joy, like any of those things in helping our children know how to express it and also identifying the emotion with the act or you know whatever has caused that because it seems like a lot of times kids they'll cry and they have no idea why they're crying and so sometimes they have that emotion but they're not able to identify like where it's coming from and I'm just wondering like it, when we as parents show that we have emotion too I remember like some adults growing up, they would not show emotion. And so then that made me feel like I couldn't show emotion. Uh, And so I think there needs to be a balance there. Yeah, for sure. Like I didn't mean adults suppressing their emotions. I mean, making it kind of an instructional, it's a controlling and a teaching type of environment. Because you you mentioned like when we're frustrated at evil in the world and like abortion and stuff like that, kids shouldn't see us stomping around and kicking objects and yelling and pounding a table or something. You know, they can see like us a little bit frustrated, but then we explain to them why and help them to understand something so they'll like oh yeah that frustrates me too you know but that's what i say as parents you know our kids should see that we have emotions but they see how to channel and express and control emotions so that you're not being chaotic (laughs) self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit yes (laughs) not to be dry and robotic but not to be explosive and chaotic (laughs) a balanced (laughs) self-control yeah and my other thought too is that we just need to be careful as parents that we don't make this situation about us 
Mm. Like if it's about our child and they're upset, focusing on them and like, okay, they're upset and not being like, oh, it's all about me as the parent now and how do I feel and how, oh, this is awkward, so I'm just going to get mad at them. Okay, but then that switches, like you said, that role reversal, it changes the situation to where it's about the parents now. And that's not how that should be. If it's the child's struggle, then it needs to be about the child at that moment and helping them, guiding them through that. Yeah. So do you have a Bible verse? Oh, yeah. So I have two Bible verses. One of them talks about the way we should handle emotions like anger. And then another one that, I mean, this is God speaking in the second one. But the wording reflects someone who's had to hold in and suppress emotions, how it then kind of can come out later. So I'll explain that verse when I get to it. So the first verse I have is Proverbs 19.11, which says, The discretion or the prudence of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Now, what this verse means, it's not talking about dismissing or ignoring wrongdoing, but say you're a parent, and if you have self-control over your anger, you can push it, shelve it, so that you can be sober, you know, prudence, be sober to defer anger over, say, like there's a transgression or being wrong, like, okay, let's handle this properly and soberly, and it's his glory to pass over a transgression, like, but it doesn't mean dismiss it, but to handle it in a sober manner. So if a parent can control their emotions and to like table the anger in such a way that, okay, now I can teach my child this was wrong, this is what happens, and here's the proper correction. And that's the way for parents to manage their emotions, especially their negative emotions, to be instructional with their children about right and wrong. And now in the second verse, Isaiah 42, 14, it says, I have long time holden my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. <laughs> so in the context, this is God talking about Israel and how he's going to bring judgment because he's waited for a while and their transgressions have happened. But it, the wording here just kind of makes me also think about like, okay, say a parent is suppressing emotions of their child, like the child's hiding their emotions, they're holding their peace, they've been still and refraining themselves, but think about once if a child has had to suppress their emotions through their childhood, then what happens when they grow up? Eventually it's going to come out at some point and it's going to come out in an explosive way. <laughs> like It'll come out like a woman in labor and it will, can cause destruction and stuff <laughs> like I don't know if that's a, the best way to apply this but this really seemed kind of the way like okay if you suppress emotions for a, a long time then when the opportunity arises when it makes sense to the one who's been holding back their feelings it's going to come out with a vengeance and <laughs> and say like okay parents if you don't want your child as an adult to start exploding with the emotions they've suppressed don't cause them to hold their emotions and suppress them for a long time or it's going <laughs> to it's going to come out inconveniently and it will 
hurt you. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good verse in illustrating that first point there. So you want to bring up the next step to evaluate our parenting? Yes. Yeah, so step two in our sequel <laughs> to evaluate our parenting is asking ourselves, are we placing guilt on our children? An example of this would be if you say to your child, you know, because of you, I had to give up my dreams and my goals. Mm. And because of you, I couldn't go to this university or things like that. That's putting guilt on our children unnecessarily. And that's going to cause a lot of harm Mm. growing up uh, for that child. So just really being aware of that. And sometimes it's obvious when we place guilt on our children. And sometimes it's not as obvious. I think with all these steps too, just really asking God to show you like, okay, where can I improve? What am I doing? How can I be a better parent here? And I think that that's where some of this will come out is when we're constantly trying to be the best parents that we can. I think this particular step here, this question, it seems to be becoming more prevalent in this type of generation. In modern times, it's something that parents might say to their children more, unfortunately, because of the way people are growing up and being taught now that basically the world exists for your fulfillment, for your happiness, and children aren't growing up to be taught about expecting to be parents when they're older or to think that parenting is something that like, okay, it's off in the distance once I've somehow established my life and parenting is something that you have to like plan for decades till you're ready for it but in some ways you're always supposed to be ready for it in other ways you can never be fully ready for it so you know because all that to say that parenting is never going to be easy and straightforward and that's why a lot of people can be confused taken off guard especially if we're not raised in such a way to prepare for parenthood For a lot of people today, they stumble into it unexpectedly, and then they're thinking, wait, I didn't realize it's 24-7. I didn't realize it was this hard. I mean, the movies I watch where there are parents, you know, if they're not like the sitcom shows where everything is just chaotic and stuff mixed with comedy, (laughs) it's like everyone just looks like happy and everything's easy or something like that, but I lose sleep over this. I can't like just go out to a restaurant all the time like I used to when I didn't have children and so on. But yeah, we have to realize that you can't look at your children as if somehow they invaded your home and they're depriving you of things that you could have done or made things more difficult. They didn't choose that and they should not be treated as if they're invaders. And <laughs> I think you just like hit the nail on the head with this. <laughs> Are you saying I'm a hammer? No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, just thinking about how invasive mm. that lie is in society that children are a burden. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's totally contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says children are a blessing. Yeah. And when we have that mindset that children are a burden, then of course we're going to blame them or mm. put that guilt on them. 
because we're not successful or we're not where we thought we would be because of children. And that's totally, again, not what the Bible says, because it says that children are a heritage of the Lord, not being vice president at this major enterprise is (laughs) the heritage of the Lord. Like it's children. Those are the ones that are going to carry on the legacy. And I think it's just when you were talking, I was like, (laughs) Oh, it just feels like so heartbreaking that this is how we think and this is how we view children. Like it's not convenient and we don't have time for them or let's only have one kid because we want to make sure we don't have our entire lives ruined by having Mm. three kids. (laughs) I don't know. It's just sad. And that's how we think that children are disposable and... Yeah, and just think of how it harms a child's thinking about themselves. If parents, whether they say it directly or more concealed, whether it's through their actions or their words are kind of indirect about it, to place guilt on your children for their existence by saying, you know, you're keeping me from my happiness or because you did this, I lose out on this or things like that. Like that's one of the most damaging things you can do to your children. You say things like that (laughs) and you realize after listening to this that, wait, I've been saying things like that or hinting at it. You need to have some talks with your children, apologize, seriously apologize, and strive to reverse course on that because those type of words scar your children for life. When they go into adulthood, their adulthood is going to be destroyed. It's not going to be pretty. And so those types of words, those types of statements towards your children are not harmless. And this isn't something that Christians are immune from. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, especially Christians who've kind of just grown up in the ways of the world public education and stuff like that. I'm not trying to turn this episode into any kind of bashing public education, but I'm just giving a kind of setting where some people, because they grew up in that, they might not realize that kind of idea of children or hearing people talk to their children that way, that that's not normal, it's not productive, it's destructive. And Christians, as you said, sweetheart, because the Bible says that children are blessing, we need to realize and make sure that they hear that, that they are a blessing to parents and not a burden you know, children are challenging, but you don't tell them that, you know, <laughs> you tell them that they're a blessing and it's part of parenting that we learn how to parent children and challenges can be good. <laughs> so what do you think about even instead of saying like children are challenging? Okay. I was trying to think of a better <laughs> word than the word burden. I'm trying to say like, as I said before, parenting isn't necessarily easy, you know, yeah. and when people could get caught off guard on that, like, of course it's a challenge. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's part of improving, maturing parents as adults and so on like that. But I mean, I think that like you make a good point though, that a lot of times people focus in like, oh, children are a challenge Mm. and so then that kind of scares them away from wanting children or that can cause them to be like oh we're not having any more children but then it's putting that guilt on the child again instead of being like life is challenging yeah yeah and (laughs) 
parenting is one of those challenges that we face. And it's not because we have a child. It's because Mm -hmm. life is just challenging. It's a learning. It's a journey. It's falling and getting up again and Mm -hmm. asking God constantly for help and wisdom because even if you don't have kids, you're still going to have challenges. It's Mm -hmm. going to be hard. And I think that just can help us understand like, okay, it's not putting the blame on the child. Like, oh, because I have a child now, it's hard. No, life in general is going to be hard. We have a child and more than likely we're going to be blessed more because we have this precious child in front of us and they're going to be there on our journey through life. And I'm just kind of thinking some of the ways that we view our children. It can be challenging. (laughs) Like we're talking about to just think, okay, how are we viewing our children? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm meant by like being prepared for parenting or realizing, okay, this is what it involves. Be prepared for it. And yeah, so I like the verse that you picked out for (laughs) this point. Do you want to share that verse? Sure. So um, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 says, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. So King Solomon here is saying, don't ask yourself, why are the days of old better than what I'm experiencing right now? Basically saying, if you're asking yourself that question, it shows that you're not thinking wisely. (laughs) The context is probably thinking of You know, you hear that today where people talk about, well, back in the good old days. And yeah, we can look back decades ago and see that certain things, of course, were better. But you make it good today. Stop living in the past. And for people who are like parents and they're thinking, oh, I yearn for the days when life was so much easier and carefree and all I had to do was just do my work and then I had all this free time to live for myself and so on. So it's like, you know, you have your children now and you're not looking at them as blessings, but you're thinking like, oh, life was so much better years ago. That's foolishness, according to King Solomon. Well, and you think about the Israelites and how they wanted to go back into slavery because they thought that was better. And it's like, okay, (laughs) no, that wasn't better. And they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because Mm. they couldn't trust God and what blessings he had in store for them. And I think that's hard when you're looking at the possibility of, oh, we're married, we could end up being parents here or you know whatever the situation is and thinking like okay we have to trust god in this because it's going to be a new scary adventure (laughs) embrace the adventure yes (laughs) but it requires like so much trust that i think a lot of times that scares us and we're just like no we're not going to do that we'd rather go back here and be in slavery (laughs) yeah embrace today for today's sake yeah that's a good point about the israelites okay they're wandering in the wilderness but god's miraculously feeding them manna and quail and their sandals aren't wearing out god is sustaining them and they're free people but as they're eating manna then they complain to moses 
and say, we yearn for the garlic and the leeks and the onions that we had in Egypt. And you think like, uh, and you like those lashes on your back too, you know, <laughs> like uh, you're forgetting what life was like back then. And yeah, so it wasn't all gravy, but look at today, make today good for today's sake and embrace it as a good thing. And yes, parents, we have children now, you're working harder and there's less for yourself, but that's a good thing. <laughs> and love your children, embrace your children and don't live for yourself. Don't yearn for the days back when you were living for yourself. <laughs> Those former days were not as good as your mind has tricked you to think that they were. <laughs> Did you know that Striving Fraternity provides speakers and seminars that we would come to your church and disciple your people? We have seminars on the Bible interpretation made easy, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, even on sexual abuse. These are just some of the many things that we could provide for your church. Consider inviting one of our speakers to your church. You can contact us at speaker at strivingforeternity.org. Okay, I have a trivia question for you. Okay. I actually have a couple here. Let's see. <laughs> These kind of have to do with our topic today. So this one is just kind of a crazy thought that's out there, but... Do you think, based on most social studies, that spanking a child would increase IQ or lower a kid's IQ? Uh, most studies today, mm -hmm. I'm saying that I think the most studies today would say that it lowers their IQ. Yep. Yeah. But of course, we also have to determine what does it mean by spanking? Because if we did an episode on that, there's certainly a lot of child abuse that goes under the banner of spanking. So, yes. Yeah. So this says that studies show that corporal punishment can hinder intellectual development. In other words, there is a marked correlation between spanking and a lowered IQ. Yeah, I would say that, of course, if someone's spanking in anger and not teaching and using a very appropriate level of correction, not venting, not stuff like that, that could lower IQ. I'm sure, you know, if we do an episode on proper correction, like a procedure for that, that demonstrates sobriety and control of emotions and appropriate level of correction, the opposite would be true. <laughs> Mm, good job. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, if a parent talks to their baby frequently, how many words do you think a child would know by age two? By age two? Hmm. Uh, 200? Pretty close. <laughs> okay. 300. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even more than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So babies whose parents talk to them frequently know about 300 more words by age two than babies whose parents rarely speak to them. That's, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's so important to read to your little ones. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is helping their little brain develop and their ability to learn words. <laughs> Plus, it's so fun. <laughs> Okay, and the last question, because this kind of leads into our next couple of points here. Okay, at what age does a child's sense of privacy usually begin? 
let me guess, something like three? Probably lower, right? Oh, well, a little bit older, Okay. at least according to this one. Um, it says between eight and nine years old. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of our kids. Like It seems like that was around the age when they were a little more worried about making sure doors are closed. Uh, yeah. Or... yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Like toddlers don't understand like, okay, I'm going potty. They want their parents to see them and stuff to help out and cheer them on and stuff. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Yay on the trivia. <laughs> I was a little bit off on that one, but (laughs) that last one. (laughs) But you are a good sport in trying these. (laughs) Hmm. Do you want to start the next step in evaluating parenting? All right. So step number three in evaluating our parenting is asking ourselves, are we giving our children the silent treatment? If we feel that anger is an issue, it is so important to verbalize that you need to step away for a few minutes and then come back to the situation. If we just walk away from the situation and we don't say anything to our kids or explain why we're walking away, then that doesn't really help the child or the parents. Hmm. And this can cause the child to eventually feel that they're always walking on eggshells around their parents. So if you're feeling like, okay, the situation with the kid is starting to cause a lot of anger in me, I need to step away from the situation. If you just go walk upstairs to your room, you don't say anything to your kid, your kid's going to be like, oh no, I just made mom really upset. I can't do that. Or, you know, they're going to feel like yeah, they can't be they abandoned. The and, yeah. yeah. They can't be abandoned. They can't be like, what did I do? You know, they need to know, what did I do? What could I have done differently? And with a proper sober explanation and so on. Not leave your children guessing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And if you do need to step away, just saying like, mommy just needs a few minutes to think about this. I'm going to go sit over here or I'm going to go upstairs for a couple minutes and then we'll come back to this. Or, I mean, it kind of depends on the age of your child too. But sometimes I know like with our kids, if it's getting really intense and I'm like, Hmm. okay, I have no idea even where to start. Then I'll just say, all right, kids, everyone find a spot to sit. (laughs) We're going to be quiet for two minutes and play the quiet game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, all right, I just need everything to settle down for a couple minutes so I can get my thoughts together and figure out how am I going to respond? What's going on here? So I mean, silence or stepping away from a situation to make sure that we have our emotions in check is a good thing, but also making sure that our kids don't feel abandoned or that they or confused. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just upset dad. He walked out like, okay, that's going to make them fearful and we don't want that. So just making sure we're communicating with them age appropriate. Yeah, as you said, it differs based on the age as to how you communicate things. But as you said, like, if you need to step away, tell them, you know, I need a few minutes. And then likely, you know, you're going to come back and say, okay, now, you know, I want to talk about something. Talk about it. Children need to know what the issue is. Maybe like how it made you feel or think or something like that. What could we do next time to make it better? Things like that. So they need to understand 
according to the age, you know, what's going on and not just parents walked away in frustration and I don't know what I did and I don't know what to do better next time and I'm confused and I'm fearful now. So an example that I heard of this was a mom was getting frustrated with one of her kids and she just couldn't deal with it. So she stomped up to her room, closed and locked her bedroom door And then the kids just like ran wild in the house because they're like, oh, yay, we scared mom away. (laughs) So now we can rule the house. Mm. Like, okay, that wasn't like the best outcome as far as the mom's upset and she had to go away. And now the kids feel like they rule the house. Like, Mm. so So there has to be a good balance there of knowing that you need to step away So you don't respond out of anger, but also that your kids understand that they're the discussion or whatever is still going to take place with them, that it's not they're getting off the hook. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because that's kind of makes like the mom in that example as like a kid (laughs) who still hasn't grown up yet (laughs) to be the parent of the kids. Yeah. So you already have a passage for this step about giving the silent treatment. Yeah, so I just thought that 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, we don't have to read all of those for sake of time here, but the passage is about love and what love is and what love isn't. And hmm. love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. So I think that when we're thinking about how we're parenting, we love our children. So we, like an expression of love, we're not going to be easily angered. Mm. We're not going to keep a whole list of every single wrong thing our child has done. And it's not self-seeking. We're not going to be looking out for what our emotions are and how does the child like fit in our expectation of how they should act and stuff because that's just not going to be healthy for the child or for the parent. And it doesn't demonstrate love. A good passage there to keep us on track about what it means to love our children and not hold things against them, not be easily angered or self-seeking. So the next step, number four, in evaluating our parenting is to ask ourselves, are we ignoring healthy boundaries? So you mentioned before in the trivia about privacy, at what age do they start to recognize the need for privacy and stuff? So one of the healthy boundaries that children need is to be able to have a sense of privacy, like say if they're in their bedroom, shouldn't like remove their door <laughs> or bedroom door or something as like a punishment. Now, of course, the flip side of this is you don't give your child a cell phone and let them be in their bedroom alone, scrolling through social media or watching TikTok videos. A young child in their bedroom, you know, that's kind of an unhealthy level of privacy. But we need not to ignore healthy boundaries for children. They need to have a sense of security while still having the role of a child under instruction from parents and Yeah, 
But I think that's exactly what having healthy boundaries are, is like having a good distinction between child and parent. Yes. And it seems like there's definitely a blur a lot of times where parents are treating their child almost like their friend. Mm. And so then those boundaries get blurred and it could be where the parents sharing too much information with the child or the child feels like they're responsible for a lot. And then that forces the child to be more of the adult. I liked how you worded it too, babe, is that when we have boundaries for our children, that gives them a sense of security. They kind of know where the edges are and Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where my parents are. And then they know they have that security. They have that safety. And babe, I was thinking, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this, but it seems like having healthy boundaries is kind of a foundation for some of these other ones that we've been talking about as well. Like having healthy boundaries between how we treat our children. Are we going to treat them with silence? Are we going to treat them with anger? Are we placing guilt on our children? And I think that it seems like a lot of those things, if we really evaluate where our boundaries are as far as having that child's parent relationship, that would help with some of those. Yeah. What your thoughts are on that. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like parents who might not give their child their appropriate boundaries are responding reflexively and not thoughtfully to things like maybe an unhealthy boundary is if a child does something that annoys their parent and the parent gives a harsh punishment like okay because of that no dinner or because you did that say like your child is like a teenager and you give them an appropriate phone with security filter stuff like that but you gave it to them because they need a way to contact you in emergencies but then it's like, because you did this now, I'm going to take your phone away from you for a year (laughs) or whatever. happened. that's probably too long to think as an example, but some way where it's like, okay, now I'm demonstrating to you that I don't care about your safety. You know, I'm going to deprive you of the means to contact me in case of an emergency, you know, things like that. That would be an inappropriate invasion of a child's need for proper boundaries. But A lot of the reflexive things that parents might do that take away proper boundaries are reflexive anger. I think Proverbs 14, 29 demonstrates that where it says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. And so a parent will make poor parenting decisions with a child's needs for healthy boundaries by being quick to anger. So if someone's hasty of spirit, they exalt folly, foolishness. And especially if it's a parent toward their children, they act foolishly toward their children and go too far in certain circumstances. But if a parent is slow to wrath, it's because they have great understanding of how to handle things with proper balance. I like that verse. And I was thinking of a quick example of like, I mean, children in general are messy. And that's just something that they have to learn about and trying to make sure like, okay, certain messes, they're okay because they're having fun, like throwing sand outside of the sandbox. Okay. A little bit of that is fine. They're having fun. But like we always say, okay, don't throw sand because the wind blows and it blows the sand right in your sister's eyes and then 
that's not fun. So <laughs> we're not going to throw sand. We don't want it to get in her eyes. Or they're messy eaters and making a mess with their food and then you have to clean it up. I mean, those are things that we can't like get angry about <laughs> and explosive yeah. about because that's who a child is. Mm. And of course, like we have to establish like you don't want them to be slobs or yeah. <laughs> like purposely making messes. You have to teach them, okay, hey, let's try and keep this on the plate. And mm. I mean, it's this learning experience for them. But it seems like very often I've seen parents just kind of fly off the handle because mm. their kid spilled a little bit of milk on the floor. And yeah. it's like, yeah. <laughs> all right, that was an accident. Like kids don't have the coordination to balance stuff sometimes. And like yeah. we can't just have this burst of anger because our child is a child. Mm. Like that yeah. kind of goes at the core of who a child is. So I think that that's another place that we just have to be careful with some of our healthy boundaries as well. <laughs> yeah. So like a healthy boundary. Okay. You mentioned a sandbox, like a healthy boundary might be like, okay, you don't set up a sandbox in the living room floor, <laughs> but a healthy boundary, as you mentioned, like, sure, they're going to end up with some sand outside the sandbox outside, but the healthy boundary might be, okay, sand stays outside. You don't just bring handfuls of it inside and throw it on the floor, you know, <laughs> or you mentioned eating like our youngest, you know, of course, if she eats yogurt, she's going to have yogurt beard and yogurt on her shirt that's to be expected but a healthy boundary will be to understand that but try to help her not to just feel free to paint the walls with yogurt (laughs) (laughs) would you help with a donation to striving for eternity let me let you know what your donation helps with we travel overseas to places like canada to the Philippines, elsewhere, to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to teach people where they don't have as much opportunity as we have here in America. We go all over the country to be able to preach and teach, to teach people how to interpret God's Word. So when they open God's Word and handle it for themselves, they know how to accurately handle God's Word. That's the heart we have. We want to be about discipling God's children. If you give a donation, regardless of any amount, we would be very grateful. But we'd also like to bless you. So if you give a donation of $2, we are going to give you a free copy of What Do We Believe, a book that I had wrote about the Christian theology. If you give a donation of $5 a month, we will give you... That book that I mentioned, plus What Do They Believe, which is a book I wrote about world religions. If you're willing to give $10 a month, we will give you the two books mentioned, plus On the Origin of Kinds, a book Dr. Anthony Silvestro wrote that deals with evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, and creation science all put together so you see how to use them. If you give a donation of $20 a month, we will give you the three books mentioned plus the book Sharing the Good News with Mormons. 24 different authors giving 24 different ways to evangelize the Mormons, but many of them work for just evangelism period and are great tactics to use. We would greatly appreciate a donation of $25 a month, and what we would look to do with that is give it away. If you give us $25, we're going to seek to give away $25. 
as part of our ministry as the Christian Podcast Community. And Striving for Eternity wants to help get missionaries to get their mission out. So if you give us $25 a month, we are going to commit to trying to look for missionaries that we can give them podcasting equipment and hosting so that they would be able to get their message of what they're doing on the mission field to their supporting churches, rather than sending a a letter that is a mission report that many people don't read, but they'll listen to a podcast. And when the missionary is at that church, man, they're going to say, hey, listen to my podcast. People will subscribe. And then they're going to hear in the missionary's own voice what's going on. Instead of when the missionary comes to town and they show pictures of people you don't know, no, it's different when you've heard the missionary say, I led this person to Christ. I've been discipling this person. This is what's happening with this person. And now you see the picture. Oh, what a joy it is. Now, if you could do more than that, we certainly will not turn it away, and you'll still get the four books. We are in need of your support. We value the money donated to us, and if we have provided value to you, may you consider helping us to help others. It would be greatly appreciated. Just go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate to donate today. Thank you for considering it. So the final step in evaluating our parenting that we have is to ask our question, are we holding our children responsible for our happiness? And this kind of seems a little bit like the placing guilt on the children and stuff like that. But are we expecting our children in their daily activities to be kind of serving us? Instead of us being parents to our children, are we expecting our children kind of to be our parents so that their purpose in life, in their daily lives, in our daily lives, is to make us happy? (laughs) I think that's where it's just interesting how, I mean, a lot of these kind of flow together to but just having those healthy boundaries again, as far as like, okay, our children aren't responsible for if we're happy or not, because then that's putting so much pressure and guilt on the child if we become angry, because of course our children, they're going to make mistakes or have issues that we have to deal with. And that shouldn't make us angry or frustrated with them and like who they are. And again, like just looking at for some reason, I think of this a lot of times with our kids. When I look at our kids, I try and picture their heart. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, not like their physical heart, but like their heart on the outside of them. And it's like tender and you have to be careful with it. And like you love, I, mean, I don't know, just trying to think of the core part of your child because you're their parent and you love them so much. You want what's best for them. And when you're looking at your child like that, then it's a lot harder to be explosively angry at them because you're not looking at yourself and how that makes you feel. So just trying to, again, take that focus off of you and what you're feeling. And there's going to be days where we're like, we are happy because our children (laughs) used good manners and (laughs) we praise them for that. But that doesn't mean our happiness depends on their behavior. And that's where, unfortunately, a lot of times 
that happens in a parent-child relationship where the child is like solely responsible for if the parent is happy or not. And that is a stressful Mm. place to be that can cause children to have a lot of anxiety and stress and eventually depression if they feel like they're always responsible for mom and dad to be happy. Like if you want your children to make you happy, you parent in such a way that your focus is on their needs in such a way that you're instructing, you're maturing, and then when they grow up and they understand things, then they will want to make you proud and that will make you happy. But you don't want your little ones to have to worry about, oh no, I made mom or dad upset or I wasn't doing these really good things, you know, and their happiness is fragile. Yes. But isn't that kind of what the Bible teaches us? I mean, happiness is something that's fleeting or it kind of goes and comes easily. But I think with parenting, there's a joy in it. Like Mm. even when our kids do make a mistake, I mean, not that you're pleased that they made a mistake, but there's still a joy in there. Like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. But, Mm. you know, like they're going to learn and grow from that. So there's a certain type of joy in it. And I think that's where just even like that children are a blessing, that it's a joy being their parent. And that's what we need to communicate with our children every day is that we're just so thankful that we can be their parents and that God blessed us to be parents and to train up these little ones because that's like the greatest gift we could ever have. Besides, of course, salvation. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And as parents, we shouldn't think of our children as, say, like a stock market investment, like they need to return me those dividends, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. We're training the next generation (laughs) to be successful in the next generation. You know, that's our purpose as parents. And so, yeah, like if we think that our children exist just to make us happy, I have Proverbs 11, 20. It says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. So if we apply this to parents, if they're troubling their house, if they're grieving their children, (laughs) they're making things difficult for their children for their own sake, expecting to inherit something, you know, to prosper from their children to make them happy. Well, someone who troubles his household will inherit the wind. You know, basically it means nothing. It's all going to just fly away what you were expecting to have. And so that's not the goal of parents. And so those were five more steps to evaluate our parenting. And so if you didn't listen to the episode from two weeks ago with the other first five steps, we highly encourage you to do so. And so thank you for listening to this episode of Truth Espresso. Chelsea and I hope that it was encouraging and challenging too that um, just like it's challenging to us as parents that asking ourselves these questions will help us to be better parents as we think of our children as blessings raising the next generation and so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. 
If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.